Okay. I think. <laughs> All right. I know last week we got it wrong and, and then we posted it real quick and I hope it wasn't too much of an inconvenience, but welcome everybody to another episode of This Week in the New York Times. I'm Jeff Salzman and the um, goal of this show is to take a post-progressive view of the progressive paper of record. And in a way, that's just an excuse to talk about the news and how it's unfolding. But I do use the New York Times as a touchstone because it is, uh, a, you know, sort of where the uh, intelligentsia uh, at the leading edge is uh, clustered for the most part. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to hang on one second. All right, there's uh, a couple issues that I want to talk about. One is, of course, Afghanistan. And we're seeing in the news media in general a, a certain move to the political corners. There's, the narratives are beginning to harden on the left and the right. And I think this is inevitable. And, um, and it's happening. So on the left with the New York Times and uh, MSNBC, we're seeing more and more stories about how the, uh, the withdrawal was a good thing, at least in strategy. And in the scheme of things, it's less horrible than in the past. And it was in any case necessary and a courageous decision on the part of Joe Biden. And that's beginning to harden politically. And of course, on the right, at Fox News and Wall Street Journal, uh, with a couple exceptions, it was a disastrous decision, incompetently carried out, outrageous results, and, um, and that will be what happens. I mean, we saw it with the Capitol riot. The night of the Capitol riot, everybody, Lindsey Graham, everybody's, I've had enough of Trump, it's over. And over time, the, uh, we, get, we sort out our narratives <laughs> and we harden into the polarities that we see in the culture at large. Now, Integral is a little friendlier to polarities than most because there's a recognition that we, you know, we have to differentiate, we get really clear on how we're different before we can integrate. And it's not pretty, but it can be beautiful. So I will say that I am noticing, however, some what I would say are more integral takes on Afghanistan, including the um, editorial in this morning's New York Times, which is sort of a major editorial, took up a whole bunch of space. Uh, and it's written by uh, Farrah Stockman, who is a member of the editorial board. So it's kind of an official position of the New York Times at this point, and that and this being August 27th. And um, the title is Farewell to Hubris in a Afghanistan. And I'll just read a couple paragraphs. She writes, the Biden administration faces a choice. Try to thwart any government the Taliban creates or use whatever shred of leverage America has to encourage them to govern as inclusively and moderately as possible. If we care about the people of Afghanistan, we will try the latter and do so with a little 
as little hubris and heavy handedness that helped us get into this mess in the first place. And the general theme of the article is that the Taliban may be, and of course the Taliban, when we talk about them as a group, there's, there's centers of gravity that we can see and, and, and what's hopeful, what we hope and, and what this article lays out as a hope is that the Taliban has moved from a center of gravity that was, let's say too much red, too much in the warrior stage of development and into the traditional. So it's warrior, traditional, modern, postmodern, integral. Those are the stages of development that we talk about here. You can find out more about this on the post-progressive post or the My Daily Evolver website, the theory section. But that's where the Taliban was 20 years ago. And where they are now is maybe a more solid blue with modern overtones. And that would be a very significant difference. A, 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 a whole stage move is very different. And we're seeing that play out in the events of the last couple of days where we had ISIS, a new version of ISIS, ISIS-K, do two terrible bombings at the Kabul airport, killing eight Americans, several hundred Afghans, and, um, and, and, and condemned by the Taliban. And that's good because the Taliban is, it's not good the event, but it's good that the Taliban is marginalizing these people and separating themselves from these people. And she goes on in her article to note this sort of move. She says, in a news conference last week, the Taliban spokesman Zabadua Mujahid promised to protect the rights of women, minorities, and independent press, albeit in the context of Sharia. Quote, there is a huge difference between us now and the Taliban 20 years ago, he pledged. In recent days, Taliban fighters did not interfere with a public ceremony of the Shiite religious minority that the Taliban persecuted in the past. A Taliban spokesman allowed himself to be interviewed by a female reporter for a, a segment aired by Tolo, the country's largest private broadcaster. The Taliban have met with tribal elders and religious leaders, a sign they understand that in order to govern, they need broader support than they currently have. And, and then she goes on to talk about, um, you know, the modern context of this takeover by the Taliban is that they have to govern, they have to work in the modern system, uh, particularly of finance, because all their finances have been frozen by the modern world, you know, and they sort of will win back their privileges with the, you, you wanna work in the modern system, you have to act like a modern people. At least you can't be, you know, persecuting, genocide, scorched earth, all of the stuff that the Taliban did in, uh, uh, pre-9-11-2001, uh, uh, where, um, you know, and, and of course a haven for, a haven for Al-Qaeda, not, not opposed to Al-Qaeda. So that I want to note, uh, and I want to note that there's, uh, a, 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 that we see some of that in the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal being, in some ways, the, um, you know, I, want, I don't really say polar opposite of the New York Times, but the Wall Street Journal that, that would be red state, you know, that would be something very traditional. But uh, the Wall Street Journal is center right. So classic liberal would be that stage of development, modern, 
for sure. And, um, and this is a article, or it's, a, it's actually a column written by Nolan Peterson, who was an Air Force captain that did several tours in Afghanistan. And the column's titled, Afghans Developed a Taste for Freedom. Subhead, even Taliban fighters have been seen gleefully riding bumper cars and working out in a Kabul gym. And he writes, and again, this is about this move, this you know, evolutionary emergent move of higher consciousness. He says, Afghanistan's median age is about 18. More than half of the country's population, Taliban fighters included, can't remember life before the 2001 American invasion. I don't think iPhones and amusement park rides are going to shepherd the Taliban into the modern age overnight. It will take more than gadgets and good times to reverse their atavistic trajectory. But there's a lesson here, which the next generation of American leaders should consider. Freedom means more to the oppressed. All people, including our enemies, naturally yearn for their inherent right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. By giving the Afghans a taste of democracy for 20 years, we have sown the expectation of freedom in their minds. Taliban leaders can try to suppress it, but the desire for freedom is an immutable part of the human heart. Freedom is always worth fighting for. Okay, so I, I think Integral gives us a couple insights into this column. One is that freedom is, you know, the next imperative when you are fully and adequately, the life, life conditions of traditionalism have been felt and, 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 and have been brought to fruition. At that point, you're ready to move into this, you know, freedom is an imperative. I must be free. Um, that won't happen at the earlier stages. It, it wouldn't happen at a bright traditionalism. That is um, where people want to conform. They want to be obedient. They want to get to heaven. They want to, they, they're willing to sacrifice themselves. This is not modern love of freedom. I do hope that he's right and suspect he is to a large degree. Of course, there's a you know, big, complex country with several stages online at the same time. This is welcome to the so-called modern world where we have lots of stages online in any given context pretty much at the same time. So uh, yes, I think there's a lot of people for whom the life conditions were adequate, that they're ready for freedom and it, they will accept nothing less, uh, but that is, um, that's a, a stage of development in and of itself. All right. So next, I wanted to get to a article that was brought to my attention by one of my listeners uh, about, um, and I, I mentioned it last week, the March of the Karens. And um, the subhead is, the name has come, Karen, has come to represent an entitled and belligerent white woman. But what does this narrative say and elide, or leave out, about racism and sexism today. And um, 
Yeah, uh, the, the, it's a, it's an it's an interesting article, and uh, it was on the front page of the um, of this. I think it was the lifestyle or style section in the printed edition. It was on on the front page of the main edition online, and my listener pointed that out, and you know, thought it was flat out racist, and that it. Um, uh, it could have been a few years ago confused <laughs> with an onion article is, is what she said. Uh, but at any rate, th this idea of Karen, and I'll, I'll look at the article. Um, and, and here's a, um, here's, here's, here's a, 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 their definition of the Karen. In recent years, Karen has become an epithet for a type of interfering, hectoring white woman the self-appointed hall monitor unloosed on the world, so assured of her status in society that she doesn't hesitate to summon the authorities, demanding to speak to the manager or calling the police for the most trivial and often wholly imaginary transgressions. The name is not entirely arbitrary. And then uh, it goes on to talk about Karen as a name is the was the most popular name, what the third most popular name for like two or three decades in the 40s and 50s and so forth. And so the, the, the center of gravity for Karen's is 50, 60 years old. And, um, and then they go through all of the uh, regu regular suspects of the woman who called the police on the black barbecue and the Central Park Karen and the one who reports the black kids in the pool and the black UPS driver and so forth. It's not hard to find. Busy bodies are, uh, I, I think, um, uh, distributed pretty evenly across uh, races. And certainly when I was growing up there in my little town, there were w women busy bodies. I can remember their names, actually. And so we all, we all know this. It's not hard to find examples of it. But what this does is, um, well, I, I think what's, what, what we can do with using integral theory is we can look at the question of, is this racist? This whole narrative of whiteness that has come online in the progressive thinking in general, but in the progressive post, certainly in the New York Times, and on Twitter, for heaven's sakes, big time, and social media, big time, but also on the mainstream media, uh, New York Times, MSNBC. And it's, um, is it racist? And, the, the, and, and so I, I would look at, racist is such a loaded term. It's, I would argue that the at integral, racist ought not be used much. Or if it is, it has to be placed in the context of the meaning of the stage of development that is using it. So uh, green or postmodern, again, uh, warrior red, traditional blue, modern orange, postmodern green, and then integral, different colors. Uh, but it, it, this postmodern progressive stage Who's racist? <laughs> Everybody's racist. Everybody, at least, who isn't actively anti-racist. So, the, you know, the, 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 you're racist whether you think you are or not, because the system itself is racist. Everything is run on whiteness. And um, 
And, um, you know, and I, I get that. I, I sort of recoil from it because I'm white and, you know, we didn't used to talk that way. It was, you know, the, we had the system and then we had black people and, uh, you know, gay people and we had women and we had, you know, various things that we had to work on. But this idea of whiteness as an oppressive force is part of this green um, postmodern progressive narrative. And I want to understand it. I want to understand it. This is the integral project is to understand it from their point of view, to be able to articulate it even better than they can. You know, that's a goal. And so, you know, I've, I'm working on this, you know, like everybody else I think of goodwill. And the, the most powerful thing I have found in my work with this personally is to just do a reverse visualization. I can try to look through the eyes of black people and try to see how whiteness is suffocating. And I hear, see this on, on, on social media and, and I try, you know, and it's not, it's easy. And, and, but if I actually flip things around and I visualize that my people who I came from, and I think of my young cousins and, you know, the young men who were full of life and the young women who were with their blonde hair and their beauty and, these are the enslaved people. My people have been enslaved by black people, my ancestors. Uh, then there's Jim Crow and we were sort of marginalized and, and, and you know, uh, hung and, and, and lynched and, 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 and had white uh, restrooms and water fountains and you couldn't swim in a black pool. And I see my people and they're stuck in poverty with no options. And, you know, just that whole thing. All, all, the, all the people in power look like James Earl Jones or, or, or Serena Williams, you know. And, um, and then I could sort of feel it. I can feel if I'm the person who's trying to navigate this world of black power everywhere. And that's, of course, I could see that there's been progress. Things have changed. But just as I, I, I noticed that, I can also see more and more deeply into how the culture of white people has made, all, well, in the case of my visualization, how the culture of black people have made all the rules and set all the standards. And, um, and you know, that helps me get it. I want to get it from, again, from their point of view. So that's the progressive point of view. And that may be an extreme one. This article represents that. It's very much, it's, it's not about critiquing the idea of caring. It's explaining the idea of caring and why it's true. And so the, what's the post-progressive critique of that? Uh, the, the big one is that in the progressive mind, whiteness is actually conflated with modernity. Uh, so all of the things that makes modernity and that is, you know, clocks, arithmetic, <laughs> you know, corporations, uh, pharmaceuticals, you know, the whole modern world. It's not just the modern world that human beings grow into at a certain stage of development, which is what integral or any developmental thinking would show you. But because it came online, uh, mostly in Western Europe, in, you know, from the 1500s on, it's uh, confused with whiteness. 
And I can understand how people could think that and how they conflate the two. So that's one critique that we would bring to this progressive narrative. The other is that in order for that narrative to be, you know, to, to evolve further, we have to integrate modern and traditional views of racism. Okay, so that's what integral does. I mean, if we're looking at the culture wars, we generally see, and this is what we do at the post-progressive post and at the Institute for Cultural Evolution, I do it in the Daily Evolver, always trying to come up with a some win for especially the three big stages that are online in our time in the developed world. And that is traditionalism, the God and country people, the uh, modernists who are secular and just want to make the trains run on time, and the postmodernists. Modernists are also globalists. Postmodernists who are multicultural, eco-sensitive, all of that good stuff. All three of them are completely appropriate stages of development. They're like 12-year-olds growing into 18-year-olds growing into, you know, it's like, it's, it's just, this is the natural movement of history and development. And they all have pieces of the truth and they all have um, pernicious aspects. Mainly the, the, their pernicious aspects are the ones that say that we're the only appropriate worldview, which they all say, all three of them say that they're the only appropriate one. And they, they think that the, when the world be, starts thinking the way they do, then we're all gonna get along. And Integral says no, that the fight itself is part of the evolutionary prog pro process. Evolution doesn't like peace. It's, I mean, I hate to say that, and, and it may just be the crappy physics of our universe, but um, that is the way things work. So, so we want to integrate the, the modern and traditional views um, uh, uh, that I'm going to look at here. So, so what's the modern view of racist racism? That is, this is the secular one, we want to live in a colorblind society when we want to judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Martin Luther King actually said a lot of things that were progressive, he, but you know, he was also really got that modern classic liberal thing of everybody just gets to be equal, you know, and then we judge everybody the way, you know, on, 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 on that standard. And so modernists, of course, understand history. They understand slavery. They understand Jim Crow. They understand, you know, uh, redlining and, and different things that, uh, you know, continue to this day. And so they, the, the fix for modernists is to stop doing that stuff, make it illegal. And so the great modern response to America's racial history was the Civil Rights Act in 1964. And that just makes it illegal to use race as a factor in public life. And the wrong way to fix that is to start demonizing whiteness, which is what you progressives are doing. And so, you know, a modernist will inveigh against articles like this. You have really a lot of um, antibodies to it. And, you know, as integralists, we want to see that. And we want to notice that. And we want to see the correctness of that. That's absolutely essential. But we also have a critique of modernity and of classic liberalism. And that is, is that it's largely materialistic. 
you know, it's secular. The interiors, to use Ken Wilber's quadrant theory, the non-material reality is, you know, reduced to atoms and, you know, thought and consciousness are reduced to synapses or some, you know, function of the meat of the brain. And it, it lacks soul and an understanding of karma and emotional intelligence that, um, you know, progressives get. Uh, so do traditionalists. But modernists, you know, want to just iron all of that out and create what, we, what I would call a mean modernity, uh, sort of a modern flatland. So we want to take all of that into account, both the good part, you know, we colorblind content of character, freedom, everybody in modern, but they're lacking this, these interiors, this cultural stuff, the consciousness stuff. My friends who are, you know, modern to postmodern, uh, I've had several of them talk to me about how, and I do it myself, I can see it myself, how I have um, seen black people as the other in ways that I don't want to, you know, that I, I, I want to correct, but it's there. And, um, and you know, my friends, I would say it of myself, I've made great progress in continuing to see people for who they are past the color of their skin, past their sex, past how they look in general. And to see the person, you know, in there is really important. So anyway, so we want all that. So then we look at traditionalism. And these are the God and country people. These are the social conservatives. And would they call themselves racist? No, their uh, the kinder word for them would be ethnocentric. Um, it's to them just self-evident that their tribe, their people are the good ones. And that the others, uh, however they are defined, and there has to be another because traditionalists see the world as a titanic battle between good and evil. Um, and so, you know, the other side, they may not be evil, they may not be even bad, but there you can't totally trust them. And um, so that's the bad part. That's the, that's, that's no, that we don't want that uh, necessarily. Um, we, but we do want, the, what's the good part of that, I guess, is maybe the better way of, of thinking about it. And that is that there is actually a soul uh, to one's people and one's ancestors. And that's not going to just be blenderized and homogenized by modernity, which modernity wants to do. That we want to actually reclaim that. And I noticed that in myself. I, I got my um, genetics done. Uh, my sister got it for me for, for Christmas one year. And I, I thought, you know, Salzman, I was German, probably Jewish. Um, there's a little bit of Romanian in there. I think the gypsies got all over the place. But for the most part, I was, you know, I think 30% Great Britain, but um, it was 60 plus percent, almost 70% was Scandinavian. And I, that just rang like a bell when I heard that. And it made me realize how much, why, why it was when I went to Sweden and Denmark. And um, first of all, I look like the people there. I'm tall, you know, I, you know, I like to wear big gray um, raincoats, 
I fit right into Amsterdam. <laughs> but also, why did I love the fjords and the countryside of Sweden so much in my travels there? Why did I feel so at home there? And, you know, there's something I want to consider that is real about that. And so in traditionalism, uh, you know, I want that. So this, so the post-progressive view of racism is, you know, we, we want to see that there is this whiteness conflated with modernity. We want to at least understand that. Uh, we want to have the colorblind society. And then we also want to honor our, you know, the, the blood. And you got to watch that bloodline thing, but it's also, but only because it's so powerful and so delicious and so rich to think about your ancestors in that way. So we want all of those to be online. And you know, we could also see what other comment I want to make, and then I'll close. I was going to do a third story, but I want to keep these to a half hour, and I'll do it next next week. That's the great thing about it. Um, is the, the one thing I want to say to, to close about the article about the March of the Karens, that um, there, there, there are the three narratives that I just mentioned uh, about race that uh, are inhabited by the three stages of development. Uh, but uh, there's also the way that you believe them can be either more pluralistic, more rational, or more um, absolutistic. So absolutistic is sort of that traditional where good and bad, right and wrong, evil and good, oppression and oppressed. Then there's the modern, then there's the postmodern. Uh, so modern means you sort of figure things out rationally. Postmodern is you bring a sensitivity to, especially people who've been left out. So all of those are not just the narrative, but the way the narratives are felt. And so you will have people, and you see this, who are, they have a green narrative about racism and about whiteness and about, um, you know, all of the stuff that the March of the Karens, but it is seen and believed absolutistically. And so it's, it's actually a, a blue version of green or, you know, to use the colors or a, a traditional view of a, a, a traditional uh, experience of a green narrative. And that's what this article did. And I think the really the, the money paragraph was um, this one here and I'll read it. Uh, let's see. Posted online and watched by million, by millions, the Karen videos offer a kind of wish fulfillment fantasy in which racism is actually punished. It's a fantasy not only for people of color, but for white people too, who are among the most vociferous, vociferous in their denunciation of Karen, perhaps seeking to distance themselves from any suggestion that they might be complicit in her actions or capable of them. To go even further, it's a white person's fantasy that racism is just a matter of a few semi-hysterical, possibly mentally unstable characters ranting on the fringes, dismissed with a flick of the screen. So, but it's not, it's actually the world we live in, there's no escape and um, it's exhausting. 
<laughs> any of them by themselves are exhausting. Well, life is exhausting. Let's just stipulate that. But all of these, any of these worldviews believed absolutistically is, I don't know if maybe exhausting is the right word, but constricting. They're, 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 they're hardening. And um, at Integral, we don't want that. We want to get more and more flexible, more and more fluid in our ability to take perspectives and feel into the whole catastrophe. <laughs> All right. Okay, everybody. Well, thank you for tuning in. And um, this will be posted uh, also on the Post Progressive Post. Check out the Post Progressive Post uh, online.com. And uh, Institute for Cultural Evolution and my podcast, The Daily Evolver. Go to the YouTube. You can um, subscribe and you know what to do. All of that good stuff. Okay, everybody. So good to be with you, and we will see you next week, same time, same station. <laughs>